Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. Disney puts out a lot of content, especially Marvel and Star Wars stuff. The latest entry into the galaxy wrapped up this week. We'll tell you if it was a winner or a loser. Plus, I'm Jeff Braun. I watched a couple of movies this week, one at home and one in the theater. I'll review She Said and The Good Nurse. I started watching a creepy and mind-bendy new show on Netflix. And from the random movie pile, the one I watched over the weekend, turns out Jeff watched that same movie just a couple weeks earlier. The Empire has been choking us. I found someone I think can help. This Wednesday, Cassian Ander, comes the next Star Wars event. How do you know about me? You won't want to miss. Time has come to force their hand. At what cost? Everything! Hang on! Star Wars Andor, three-episode premiere, streaming Wednesday. So it wrapped up this past Wednesday, Star Wars Andor, the 12-episode first season on Disney+. Plus. This series takes place a few years before the events of Rogue One, which was the movie about the rebels who steal the plans for the Death Star, ultimately allowing Luke Skywalker to blow it up in Episode 4. Cassian Andor was one of the main rebels in Rogue One, and he is the center of the story here. This show tells us how he joined the good fight, but also shows us how the rebellion is being formed and willed into existence. It is by far the darkest and most serious Star Wars show we've seen yet, showing us the many shades of gray that exist at the ground level and that it's not quite as simple as good versus evil. Jeff, what'd you think? I loved it. This is easily my favorite Star Wars TV show. I mean, The Mandalorian's great, but I think Andor's better. And like you said, quite a bit different than what we're used to. Most of the Star Wars shows and movies have uh, a lot of stuff in them for kids, but this was decidedly more grown up. And I don't mind the kid stuff. Star Wars has always had kid stuff, and obviously that's a big part of what's made it so successful. But Andor's an odd duck, and I understand it hasn't been as popular numbers-wise as the other shows. And I would guess a lot of that has to do that kids were probably bored by a lot of it. It's, like you said, a prequel to the Rogue One movie. And like that movie, Andor doesn't have, you know, Jedis and lightsabers and a bunch of funky aliens, that sort of thing. It's mostly humans, and it mostly shies away from anything too fantastical or Force-related. Although it is still Star Wars, so there's, you know, spaceships and stormtroopers and that sort of thing. But like you said, it's ground-level stuff. It deals with a lot more... in. Uh, in humanity than other Star Wars entries. There's more depth and complexity to the characters, more depth and complexity to everything going on. In the first Star Wars movies, the rebellion against the Empire was already well-established with a home base and a fleet of X-Wing fighters and all the rest, so it's cool to see the origins of all that with Mon Mothma and Luthen and Vel, Sinta and the rest. And even more cool, you know, seeing the nuts and bolts of how the Empire operates. Uh, you know, Dedra was a great villain. She's very good at her job. I don't see Darth Vader getting Getting rid of her anytime soon. Cyril is also a great villain. The you know the same brand of evil as Dedra, but much more emotional and uh, that sort of thing. And I I could see him irritating Darth Vader to the point where he uh, does the uh, chokes him through the TV screeners. One of those deals. Uh, and of course, like you said, there's Cassian Andor, played wonderfully by Diego Luna. No one was asking for his origin story, but it is one of the better ones we've seen. He initially joins up with the Rebellion just to get out of Dodge for a while because the heat is on. And, you know, also for the money, he's got uh, strong Han Solo vibes in that regard. And then by the end of the season, you know, he's got uh, good reason to join the fight for the right reasons. I thought that was good. Although it did sometimes seem like he was 
kind of a supporting character in his own show. Every now and then he'd pop up on screen and be like, oh, yeah, right, it's Andor. I forgot about him. He's been gone for so long because the Mon Mothma stuff, the Luthan stuff, especially the Dedril and Sira stuff was so engrossing. Uh, the show also operated like a proper TV season. This was not a two-hour movie stretched too thin to fill six episodes. At 12 episodes, I was initially worried because, you know, the most common complaint we have about any streaming shows that they're bloated and boring in the middle, but Andor kept changing gears every couple of episodes, which kept it from getting boring. And instead of feeling like one movie stretched out over a dozen episodes, you know, this would have had to have been three or four different movies. We got like a heist movie. We've got a, a prison movie and the end, you know, we know these 12 episodes are the first half of a 24 episode series overall. So uh, I think they've just done, a great job on the storytelling front uh, structure-wise. The whole thing was just so enjoyable to watch. Interesting stories, well-drawn characters. There was fun. There was excitement. There was legitimate emotion, which you don't get in a lot of Star Wars. I mean, a robot almost brought me to tears last week. I, I said, is this robot going to make me cry? It was freaking me out. So I, I thought Andor was firing on all cylinders, Brett, and I can't wait for season two. Yeah, that droid, uh, what was his name, Bimo? Or Bimo? Yeah. I got it. It was a two and a B2 emo. B, that's right, B. Oh, let's just go with B. But uh, yeah, he it, he was terrific, a terrific droid, even though it was essentially like a, a knockoff of Wally. But who cares? Uh, you know, flattery is the sincerest form of, or what is it? Imitation is the sincerest <laughs> form of flattery. You almost had it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it. Um, I kind of rickied that from Trailer Park Boys. But yeah, so they, they took something that worked and, and just kind of put their own spin on it. And yeah, that little droid was super emotional. That's one of the things that Star Wars has pretty much always stuck the landing on is the droids and how yep. much humanity they bring into the story. Like in Rogue One, their droid, their K2SO droid, he was curmudgeonly, but even when he met his end, I I got I teared up then too. It was just such a powerful scene. And this whole show was just terrific. I loved seeing all the 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 back ground stuff that we don't get to see otherwise in Star Wars. They're getting to see what the International Security Bureau is all about, the ISB, who Dedra works for, like to see just how powerful they are and um, you know, the way they operate. That was cool. And I loved the visuals of this show, and I like that everything was done on a set because a lot of the shows now are using this technology, the the volume where you walk into this room and it's the whole room is just like, uh, it's like a giant, the, all the walls are screens so they can project a background onto the screen. But in this, they, I mean, I'm sure there was obviously going to be some green screen in this, but you know, the sets that we saw were, were there and uh, the, the visuals as a result, it looked fantastic. And the visual effects were some of the best we've seen in Star Wars. There's a scene where they're flying underneath this meteor shower, and it's incredible. It's just mesmerizing. I, I watched it over and over and over again. I was just like kind of, you know, jaw on the floor, just, oh, it looks pretty. But um, And the performances are all, all of them excellent. This is one of the best things that Star Wars has done. It's one of the best things that Disney Plus has done. I'm not determined, or I'm not prepared yet to decide what I, where I would rank it, because I think for me the Mandalorian is still at the top. But maybe once this, once Andor is finished, then I'll, I don't know. I because I think we know yeah. it's a closed story that we're going to, and we know how Andor's 
journey ends. So uh, I'm just curious to see what they do with the rest of this. Uh, very you know excited. what? It literally just occurred to me, and I'll keep it spoiler-free, sort of. Uh, latter episode, spoiler-free. Um, and Rogue One spoiler, here we go. At the end of Rogue One, he, uh, him and uh, the lady are on a beach, right? Yeah. When it's all going down? Yeah. And in this show... He's on the beach when he gets arrested halfway through, and he's on the beach in the second last episode when he gets the devastating news. Oh. So bad, bad things happen to Cassian when he's on the beach. There we go. Good point. I never would have <laughs> made that connection. And the lady you referred to was uh, Jin Urso. That's it. I can remember. There you go. Uh, but yeah, it's just it's a really good show, and I can't wait for the next season. Although, unfortunately, we probably won't see that next season until... 2024 because they're they're shooting this one now but i mean with all the post-production that goes into something like this uh to get it right at least you know because we saw we saw what happens with uh, marvel's schedule when disney plus says okay we're gonna release this on in in april and then this is gonna come out in august and this right. is gonna be in december or whatever and the the visual effects in she hulk clearly were not up to snuff but in this they were fantastic so oh did you see the um the end credit scene. I did. I, I, I it was the first one they've had, but I, you know, we've just been trained now to go to the end of the credits just to make sure. And sure enough, there was a little something there. And I gotta say, I think uh, if even up against all the ones from all the Marvel movies, I think I liked this one the best. It was fantastic. It was uh, answered a question that was on a lot of people's minds, and it looked really cool. I second that entirely. Up next, Jeff's got a couple of movie reviews for you, including a potential Oscar bait film. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And I went to the theater this week, and it's been a while since R.V. Weinstein's been responsible for a movie in theaters. And the one that's out now probably is not his favorite. It's a journalism movie about the Me Too movement, and specifically the New York Times investigation of Weinstein, and it's called She Said. Why is sexual harassment so hard to address? We're from the New York Times. I believe you used to work for Harvey Weinstein. Are you scared of him? We all were. He'll have spies watching you now. Do you wish you hadn't signed up for this? Do you? Tell me about the payouts. What payouts, John? I want to speak out on behalf of the women who can't. This is all going to come out. She said. Waited R. Only in theaters November 18th. She said stars Carrie Mulligan and Zoe Kazan as New York Times reporters Megan Tui and Jody Cantor. The movie opens with Tui reporting on sexual assault allegations against Donald Trump while he was running for president in 2016. And the blowback that she took from it, it hit her pretty hard. All sorts of threats and intimidation from Trump and his fans. So she's a little reluctant a little while later when Cantor asked her if she wants to help with the Weinstein story. But I think the fact that Trump was elected president despite the allegations only furthered her resolve, so she jumps in. And the movie is basically the two of them digging into this story. It's very much akin to the style of All the President's Men, the Watergate movie that starred Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman in 1976. By the way, that's the best journalism movie of all time, hands down. She said does not quite hit those heights, but it's still pretty good. And it makes a great case for the importance of investigative journalism. There are any number of roadblocks that could have stopped the reporters from getting their story. And if they had not persisted, Me Too may never have happened. But they did persist. They did get the story. And, of course, it's had a huge impact on the world. Most employers took a good hard look at their HR policies 
from all that fallout and tolerance for workplace harassment drops significantly. The biggest hurdle they face, of course, is the fact that no one wants to go on the record. Again, the earlier Trump story with the Trump and his accusers made a pretty good case for people not coming forward because it had little impact and uh, just re-victimized the victims. And like Trump, Weinstein was a powerful figure in the 90s when a lot of the harassment they were investigating happened. Weinstein could make or break an actress's career with a snap of a finger, so it was easy for him to sweep his grotesque behavior under the rug. But someone like, say, Ashley Judd had much less reason to fear Weinstein in 2017 or 2018, as he would have had much less effect on her career. She plays herself in the movie, by the way. She's the only recognizable face to play themselves. The film also uses voice actors to play some of the other famous people during phone calls with reporters. And some people are just alluded to, but we never actually see or hear from them. There's some clever shortcuts like that, but it was a little distracting at times, even though it is all done very well. The lead performances, though, are great. I've been saying for at least a decade that Carrie Mulligan is one of the best actresses working right now, and she proves that once again. On the job, she's fearless. Weinstein calls to threaten her, and instead of cowering, she just starts asking him questions. She just laser-focused on what she needs to find out. Outside of work, though, she's having a bit of a rougher go. Uh, the, the movie sort of charts through uh, she has a baby and has some postpartum depression. The movie doesn't really spend a whole lot of time on either of their home lives, though, mostly just enough to show them constantly being interrupted during dinner with work calls that uh, this doing this story is literally taking over their entire lives. And even though I said it was reminiscent of all the president's men, it also doesn't have the, the narrative propulsion that that movie had. I mean, to be fair. All the President's Men is a masterpiece, so I wouldn't expect other movies to match it on every front. But as Woodward and Bernstein continued their investigation into Watergate, the corruption they uncovered kept leveling up, eventually reaching the Oval Office. Here, it sort of starts at the top and stays at the top, so it's a different kind of thing. Although, the more they dig into Weinstein, the bigger the scope becomes. There's also the fact that the Weinstein story is kind of relatively new and fresh in our minds, which has a maybe as a way of lessening some of the impact, I think, because we really know what the beats are going to be because we lived through it just a few years ago. But overall, I thought it was a fascinating look at how these reporters did their jobs, how they uncovered the crimes of a man who spent decades trying to sweep them under the rug, and the system that abetted him in doing that. Uh, well worth checking out. I will give, she said, three and a half couch cushions out of five. And Jeff's got another movie review coming up for you in our next segment, but just want to quickly touch on this. There's a new show that debuted on Netflix last week and at one point was the streamer's number one show in the country and likely many countries given its international cast. It's a mystery on the Atlantic called 1899. Six hours ago we received a message. We believe this comes from the Prometheus. You think the passengers are still alive? It's about a cruise ship called the Kerberos. It's set in 1899, by the way. This ship is bringing passengers from Europe to the U.S., but they get a distress signal and believe it's coming from the Prometheus, another ship that vanished four months earlier. They go to look for it, and when they find it, it becomes the biggest mystery of their lives. This show is from the creators of Dark, a German show on Netflix about time travel. 
It's one of the craziest time travel stories I've ever seen. Highly recommended. I mean, it's a it's weighty. You know, it'll it'll melt your brain. But it's three seasons and three seasons of awesome. This new show is definitely looking to appeal to a huge international audience because we've got people who speak English, French, Spanish, German, Danish, Cantonese, and Japanese. And that's just so far because I've only watched the first two episodes, and I love it. The first episode does a nice job of quickly setting the table, introducing us to the main players before revealing they're going to go look for the Prometheus. And when they get there, it is spooky. It is so unnerving. They do such a great job. The show looks great. The visuals are terrific. The sets are gorgeous. The costumes are awesome. The cast is superb. So, yeah, I'm just, I don't want to really spoil anything other than to say, Two episodes in, it has been a wild ride. So once again, that's called 1899, and it is new on Netflix. Up next, I forgot to tell you about another big movie that came out last week. We, we There were 11. Well, it turns out there are 12. Find out which one. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. Jeff's got another movie review coming up for you in just a couple of moments. But last week, we told you about 11 New and notable movies that were coming your way. Six of them last week, five this week. We'll recap that list in a moment. But you can make that 12 because I forgot one. It debuted last week on HBO Max and in Canada it's on Crave. It's the sequel for A Christmas Story. It's called A Christmas Story Christmas. Oh, life moves fast. One day you're playing kick the can with kids named Flick and Schwartz. The next thing you know, you're a certified adult. Ralph! Ralph, dear old man. Fragile. He was the best. Ralphie, promise me we're going to make this a wonderful Christmas. That would make your father so happy. I promise. What had I done? And now it was all up to me? I suggest you start drinking and don't stop till New Year's. So the first movie came out in 1983. It is one of the all-time classic Christmas movies. Peter Billingsley returns as Ralphie, who's now all grown up. So now he's taking on Christmas and everything that comes with being a dad. Not sure if I need to tell you anything more about it. I mean, if, if you liked A Christmas Story... You might like this. It looks like a rehash, but it's getting decent reviews at 76%. I was I was thinking about watching it last weekend, but I just wasn't quite in the mood yet for Christmas stuff. But I am now, so perhaps I'll get to it this week. So again, that's on Crave. As mentioned, 11 movies out this you know, over the course of the last this past week. So over the weekend, we had Spirited on Apple TV+, Slumberland on Netflix, Disenchanted on Disney+, The Menu, which was in theaters. She said, as Jeff pointed out, in theaters, new this past week, he gave it three and a half couch cushions out of five. Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio in theaters, but for a limited time only because it's out on Netflix on December 9th. And then five more in theaters early this week on Wednesday in time for U.S. Thanksgiving. Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery, also limited, out on Netflix December 23rd. Strange World, a Disney cartoon. The Fablemans, that's the new Steven Spielberg movie. Devotion, which is a Korean war movie about two famous American naval pilots and bones and all it's a movie about a couple of weirdos I, I can't even i don't know what that one's about but it looks bizarre so the movie that i watched 
is Disenchanted on Disney+. Plus. It's a sequel to a movie that came out 15 years ago, and that uh, when it was released in 2007. It starred Amy Adams, Susan Sarandon, Patrick Dempsey, James Marsden, Edina Menzel, and was narrated by Julie Andrews. It was a decent-sized hit, 93% on Rotten Tomatoes, and it was fantastic. It was just so much fun. It was about animated fairy tale characters who end up getting transported to New York. So they come to the real world and it had all kinds of fun, kind of poking fun at fairy tales and the various tropes that are involved, but still told a wonderful story. So now we've got the sequel, Disenchanted. Pretty soon this whole place will feel like home you'll see. It's all part of the adventure. That's not an adventure, that's a landfill. A land filled with adventure. Nancy Edward! Robert! Congratulations! Oh, it's what they call a fixer-upper. Yes, once your peasants have dug out the moat and added a turret and a balcony from which you can sing. I see it now. Amy Adams is back, along with Patrick Dempsey, James Marsden, and Adina Menzel, and new people in the cast include Maya Rudolph. Disenchanted follows up how Giselle and Robert are doing, Adams and Dempsey, but Giselle's kind of unhappy with life in the city, so they head out to the suburbs, but it's not quite as great as she wanted, so she turns back to magic and transforms the town into a real-life fairy tale, and in doing so, she starts to become wicked. So I said the first one was super fun, Magical, whimsical, hilarious, amazing performances, costumes, sets, visuals. I hope it goes down in history as a classic. Disenchanted, unfortunately, is no classic. Now, sure, it was fun to see everybody back. I mean, Amy Adams, she does a lot of serious work. So to see her do something so light and get to see her sing. It's it's fun to watch. Patrick Dempsey, he was the, the the straight man in the first movie, but in this one, he actually, once they changed to a fairy tale, he has some fun kind of in that world. James Marsden did such a great job in the first one. He was so much fun. He has a smaller part this time out, but he's still awesome. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, so the performances were still a lot of fun, but it just lacked something. Like this one felt... Just kind of like a by-the-numbers movie. It was predictable. It still looked wonderful. The sets were great. It was colorful. uh, And some of the visuals that they added were cool. But I think just the first one was such a pleasant surprise. And maybe there are certain wells you just can't go back to. So, I don't know. I'm... (sighs) I said I was in the mood maybe for Christmas stuff, so maybe I'm feeling generous, but I'm going to give this a very generous three couch cushions out of five. It was fun, but it was forgettable. I think Rotten Tomatoes has it at 40%, so um, I probably should... What I should have done was just rewatched the original and called it a day. <laughs> so there you go. What you, so you watched She Said in movie theaters, and then you watched yep. a new one on uh, one of the streamers? Yeah, it's on Netflix. It was uh, in their top 10 movies all week. It's a decent drama slash thriller called The Good Nurse, starring Jessica Chastain and Eddie Redmayne. Nurse Lochran, this is Officer Braun. Do you remember Anna Martinez? Real. Yeah, that's it was sudden. Mind taking a look at this? Huh. The insulin in her system, it's a double medication error, which is really rare. We understand that you work with a Charlie Cullen. Could he be involved in this? 
The good nurse is about two nurses, one good and one who may or may not be a serial killer. Jessica Chastain plays the good nurse, Amy, a single mother of two who also has a heart condition that could kill her at any moment. She's relatively new to her current nursing job, so she hasn't been there long enough to actually get health benefits. So there's this irony of her working all day in a hospital, but not being able to afford the heart surgery that could save her life. But she really is a good nurse. The patients just love her, as do their families, and she's shown to have a lot of compassion passion and just overall she's really good at her job she gets this new colleague another nurse charlie played by eddie redmayne he too is a good nurse also shows a lot of compassion and general competence but then a patient dies and there are some questions surrounding the circumstances there are protocols that need to be followed and reports that need to be written and all the things that are sort of automatically set in motion under these circumstances and eventually the police were informed we have these two cops one detective braun played by noah emmerich i was pretty excited when that uh, his name was braun don't see that in every movie. Uh, and then there's a Detective Baldwin, played by Namdi Asumuga, who used to be a football player in real life. They start asking some very basic questions, like asking the hospital for their files on the case, and immediately get a lot of pushback from the hospital administrator, played by Kim Dickens. And that, of course, only raises their suspicions, and soon they're trying to decide if a crime has taken place, and if so, is the hospital trying to cover it up. They also discover that this nurse, Charlie, has seemed to work in a lot of different hospitals, and they have a hard time finding a lot of concrete information on why he left those jobs, and the plot just kind of thickens and thickens. The police also come to rely on Amy for some help with the medical knowledge she has that they need that the hospital won't share, and all the while, Charlie has ingratiated himself with Amy and her kids. He becomes a family friend and that sort of thing, and it just uh, makes things a little more awkward, and uh, you got to tiptoe around if you're looking into a guy that that's, you know, got his arms around your little kid, that sort of thing. Pretty straightforward stuff. There's some suspense here and there. Not a lot, though. Uh, nor are there a lot of scenes with action. It really has a first draft vibe. And again, I can't for the life of me fathom why these Netflix movies don't invest just a little bit more in the writing. I mean, if there's one thing Hollywood has an abundance of, it is screenwriters. Let some, you know, spend an extra... 10, 20, 30, $50,000 and get some more writers to like go over these things a few times. Anyways, the, the thing that does make the movie worthwhile though are the performances. They're all good right across the board. I mean, when you hire people like Kim Dickens and Noah Emmerich for your secondary roles, you're going to get more out of these underwritten parts than is on the page. And of course, a pair of Oscar winners as your leads. That's always a good idea. Jessica Chastain grows on me more and more every time I see her in something. I also really liked her in a, a movie called Molly's Game, which I saw for the first time a few months ago where she played the facilitator of a high-stakes poker game in Hollywood. It's based on a true story. That's a good one if you're looking for something. And Redmayne, of course, I mean, he's very well suited to play a guy who may be trying to conceal his creepiness. Overall, it's by no means the movie of the year or anything like that. But if you are looking for a little medical mystery, it's definitely worth checking out. And outside of a handful of curse words, it's, it's suitable for everyone. I only point that out because Netflix has it rated R, but there's like four F-bombs and everything else is definitely PG rated. So there's nothing terrible in it. Three couch cushions out of five for The Good Nurse on Netflix. And up next, the random movie that the Couch Potatoes both happened to watch in the span of a couple of weeks. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. And over the weekend, I wanted to watch a movie, and I've been sort of enjoying watching these random movies of late, whether they're movies that I have already seen or movies that I have never seen. And the act of finding that movie, is, as we've discussed before, can be a tedious chore because you check, got to check this streamer and that streamer and see what's on demand on cable and see if there's anything on TV that night. And I, I don't even know what... I think there was, I had something else in mind 
when I was, I, by the time I got to Prime, and I was searching for something, but in that search, a movie popped up, and I, it, it was sort of an instant decision. I thought, yep, that's the one, and then I told <laughs> Jeff that I watched this movie, and you said, "How? when did you watch it? Oh, maybe three weeks ago. Yeah, so it's kind yeah. of funny that the two of us just decided to watch this movie again at random. It is Creed 2. Victor Drago, son of Ivan Drago, who infamously killed Apollo Creed, appeared today to issue a challenge to Adonis Creed. Don't do this. I ain't got a choice. That's the same thing your father said, and he died right here in my hands. That kid was raised in hate. It's dangerous. He broke things in me that ain't never been fixed. It ain't worth it. He dies. He dies. Creed 2. This is probably the fourth, if not the fifth time I've seen this movie now. I saw it once in theaters, and then uh, when it was available for home viewing, I checked it out then, and I think I, ch- I, think I watched it twice. Like, sort of not back-to-back, but like maybe back-to-back days, and yeah, when I popped up, it was kind of the decision was made as soon as I saw the the title card for it. What did you think, Jeff? How many times have you seen this now? Uh, this one, I think this was uh, it might have actually only been the second time I saw it in theaters for sure. And then uh, yeah, I watched it. I got it on Blu-ray, and I just had never got around to watching it. But I watched Creed one like six weeks ago, and I thought, ooh, I should watch Creed two. So, how was it for you? Oh, it was great. I love it. I th- I like Creed one better, but I, I was Creed two. Uh, is a worthy successor. It's a good. It's a good sequel to Creed, and it's a great sequel to Rocky IV. And that is just the weirdest uh, set of circumstances for one movie to somehow be a sequel to two separate movies. You know what I mean? Even though they're all connected. Yeah, that's a great point. And and what I like so much about Creed Two is how how they brought back Ivan Drago's character and gave yeah. him more humanity because Rocky Four is such a cartoonish film and I love it and I've talked I, I have no shame in admitting I love Rocky Four. I did enjoy the the recut that Stallone did last year but it, it's a completely different movie so it's more of a companion film than the original um, and, but Creed 2 is just a bit more serious the fight scenes are awesome Florian Monti, Monti, Montano yeah, the, the guy who plays Victor Drago is incredible he's just a monster of a man he's so fearsome and uh, yeah it was just it was good and I agree Creed 1 is the better film but I think much like the Rocky series where Rocky 4 is my favorite even though clearly the first Rocky is the best of the bunch yeah. uh, Creed 2 I think I enjoy more than that first Creed and I'm really looking forward to Creed 3 and it's weird though because Stallone's not in Creed 3 so it's the ninth movie in the overall saga of, I guess you would call it the Rocky saga, but if he's not in it, I guess we can't call it that. What do we call it? The the Philadelphia boxing saga. <laughs> um, but Stallone won't be in the Creed 3. At least he's not in the trailers. He's not uh, credited on IMDb. I guess I would be shocked if he doesn't show up, you know, at the end to like give the guy a thumbs up or something like that, some little cameo or that sort of thing. But yeah, it, it's a... a 
it's continues to be an astonishing series. I mean, even Rocky Five is not as I don't think it's as bad as its reputation. And Rocky Balboa is pretty good, and that's that weird in between one where he's far too old to actually be boxing, but he does it anyways, just as an exhibition. But it was, it's still kind of just cool to see him again in the ring. So uh, there's some merit to some degree for all these movies. Uh, but yeah, uh, and Ro- so Creed Two was good, and like you said, Creed Three coming up. I can't wait for that. Yeah, that comes out in uh, March, I believe. I'll just confirm the release date for that. But Stallone, Sylvester Stallone has been, honestly, of late, he's been kind of confusing. Yeah, it's March 3rd for Creed 3. But he's been kind of confusing because he very publicly said that at after Creed 2 that he was done, that it was time to pass the torch, that he's told the story he wanted to tell for Rocky, and now it's time for a new story and a new generation. And then this this week... Or in recent weeks, he he's been saying that he's he's kind of bummed that he wasn't involved. That uh, Michael B. Jordan went his own way, and then he said that he would be involved in a fourth Creed movie. He'd be happy to be involved, but there's a. I think this has to do with the rights because a guy named Irvin Winkler has the rights for all of these yeah. Rocky movies, and Stallone's really ticked off about that. I guess because he maybe he figures. He should have the rights for it. But yeah, so it's just been weird. It's been this strange, like, about face that Stallone's doing. And I don't really know what the heck is going on. Like, why can't just walk away? Like, you've he left his mark on the world that very few filmmakers are ever going to make with this character. And uh, he should be proud of his legacy. Yeah, he is. It's just, uh, he's just one of these guys where it's just, it's never enough as long as there's air in his lungs you know, he'll catch that second win and like, oh, I can still do it and I still want to do it. So it's, so Stallone's, you know, he's, there's a lot of really good things about that guy, but he's also got some ego issues that uh, I think have hindered uh, what would have been an even better career than the great career he's already had. In the meantime, I think I know this weekend what I'm watching. I got to go back and rewatch that first Creed and then I'll probably (laughs) watch Creed 2 again because why not? Next week on the Couch Potatoes, I'll have finished watching 1899 on Netflix, so I'll give you my full report on that. And there's another show that will be over by then called The Lazarus Project. That's on Showcase, and that's kind of a time loop, time resetting show, and I've really enjoyed it so far, so I'll tell you what I thought about that. I'm Brett, he's Jeff, we are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother.